share your news and views with Russell and the Net Support Team on Stand X20. Here, live at Jess 2017, every day. Listeners, you're in for a treat, and so am I. With me is the fabulous, the inimitable Graham Brown Martin. Welcome all the way from the United Kingdom. Well, not because you were in France just before you got here. I noticed. Yes, I was in Lyon um, working on a on a on a project which will be launched in May called We the Educators. Um, and and more than that, I am not allowed to say. But no, okay. it, it was entertaining. I wasn't looking for an exclusive, <laughs> but you are very well. No stranger to our show, listeners. Uh, Graham and I have exchanged comments over the years many many times as well and we are our history goes back a very long way none of that for this show uh, what were you here to do and how did it go yes so i was delighted actually to be invited to give the opening keynote at the ministerial forum that's here the global education forum so it's um it's aligned obviously to the guest uh, event um but it's it's re- i suppose the equivalent in in there's one in the uk which is education world forum they yeah. do and this is the equivalent for the middle east um, so it was, yeah, it was terrific. I mean, really, really responsive, interesting, delightful people. I mean, it's from different um, countries in the region. Um, I mean, actually, the, 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 the morning session, just meeting, the meet and greet was fascinating. Yeah. Um, I learned a, a heck of a lot there very, very quickly and then had to rapidly incorporate it within my keynote. <laughs> it comes to us all eventually, I have to say. It's really good. Uh, what are the challenges here? And, are, and have you learned anything we can take back? Or you're bringing something here? I mean, Well, I mean, I, I think that it, the education in the MENA region, I mean, it, it, it has the same challenges, actually, that, yeah. that education globally does. Um, I mean, in essence, I mean, if you look at the, the MENA region specifically, I mean, it has challenges. For example, there's about 50 million uh, children that, that don't have access to, to, to education uh, in, in, in you know, the wider region. I mean, we're talking about MENA, not the UAE. Um, but also, I mean, the issues really be, beyond that kind of immediate getting access to education is the question about, yes, well, we will agree that access to education is a good thing, but we don't really talk about what the education's for. You know, what is it yeah. to do? What is it to do? So today really was, um, in my keynote, was really encouraging the ministerial audience to think about what their education system was meant to do. Um, now, there are all kinds of answers to this, and I don't think there's one single answer. Um, but, you know, if we look at employment, for example, um, any child joining, you know, entering education today, sure. uh, whether here or elsewhere for that matter, uh, or any child that's in the education system today, it's important to realise that the jobs of the future are the ones that machines won't be able to do. So, and that's, you know, we're not talking about simply blue-collar jobs, uh, manufacturing and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of what we would call traditional middle-class jobs, yeah. anything, that's, anything that could be measured or anything that's uh, rule-based will be replaced and automated in some form in some period of time. And that time is quite, quite near. I mean, there's a, a lot of nonsense talked about um, AI at the moment and so forth. So I don't think this is going to happen next week, but it's going to happen um, in children, you know, the children that are going through education in their lifetime. I mean, it's happening in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, and we're not really confronting that. So, so one issue is, is around em- employment. You know, the, the traditional metric, the economic metric, if you like, for education was linked to employment. But there are uh, much bigger issues, actually, uh, than that. I mean, you know, how are we going to deal with a rapidly growing population? I mean, 11 billion people by the end of this century. Uh, I mean, it's doubled since I've been here um, in terms of, of the people. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it, it, 
it means that we are going to be stuck for resources. It also, when you combine that with other things that we know are happening, you know, climate change, for example, we know that's actually happening, regardless of what um, certain na national presidents might might think. Um, it, it's happening, and the point is, it's not. Ha it won't just affect a particular region. It will affect everybody in some form. And you combine rapidly growing population with climate change and then add uh, antibiotic resistance, um, aging population, ideological conflict and so forth. And you, know, you, you have some challenges. It doesn't have to be dystopian. I mean, I'm not kind of doom and gloom. I'm very optimistic about sure. the human species. Um, but we are going to have to rethink or reimagine yeah. what society looks like. And surely we need to be baking some of those uh, challenges, if you like, into our education system. I mean, you know, gosh, we're all bored with hearing the talk about 21st century skills, aren't we? Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that they, without context, uh, they mean nothing. I mean, we really need to be thinking about the 21st century challenges. So in my keynote this morning, really, it was about those things. It was about, look, we will need, I mean, if we think about what our purpose for education is, yeah. it can't be simply passing the same tests that we've always been about passing. You know, this, you know we, we live in a very different world now. Um, is uh, education really about content distribution and testing? Um, it can't be reduced to that. I mean, of course, this, the craft of teaching is much broader than that. I mean, the, the ability to contextualize knowledge yeah. uh, is the skill of a, of, a, of a qualified and experienced teacher. And I think we need to credit that. I think there's a sort of a wave of opinion that thinks, oh, well, we can just sort of do what Uber's done for taxi drivers and just kind of get less skilled, less trained, less qualified <laughs> teachers, give them a tablet and let them read off of that. You know, we don't really need talented teachers to do that. Well, of course, that's absolutely bonkers. Um, because actually that's not what teaching and learning is all about. But it, that's what it's become because of a very uh, narrow testing regime. Yeah. And so in order, if, you want, if you know, we accept that, the future is going to look different uh, in some form with employment, the challenges that we face. And people say, well, you know what, Graham, there's always been challenges you know, throughout history. All we need to do is learn the classics and we'll be fine. Well, actually, <laughs> folks, we've never had 11 billion people on the planet. That's no. over Earth's carrying capacity. Yes. Um, we've never had, in, you know, in our species' lifetime, rapid changes in climate. No. We've never had the kind of ideological changes on an industrial scale that we're now seeing yes. as a result of a connected community. Yeah. So we need to start thinking about those things. And I think the, the, the way to get change is to disrupt the assessment model. The, yeah. Because assessment, because we don't, don't really mean assessment, the word, the language, the vocabulary of assessment has been stolen by technocrats and bureaucrats. What they really mean is measuring. It's out with the measuring <laughs> stick. Um, you know, Because if you want to know whether your child is learning, you know, you, you listen to them, you talk to them, yeah. you, know, you, you sit with them, uh, you know, you be with them. That's how you know, that's how you assess. And teachers, good teachers, have been doing that for generations. Um, and actually parents, if you're worried about whether your child is learning, you know, speak to them. You know, hey, do you just, know what I mean? For some, that's just a huge challenge. I mean, that's just, we talk about in the humorous columns, we're talking about, you know, parents greeting their child with the mobile phone in their hand. And there's no eye contact and there's no conversation and there's good evidence to support that's going on. But it's, as you say, easily solved. What about protecting and, and grabbing hold of and, and reinforcing one's own culture, particularly here, but also elsewhere in the world? Uh, Americans will be try trying to do the same things. Mexicans will also be trying to do the same things. Uh, but here as well, this is a hugely multicultural society and, uh, and the uh, indigenous population will want to hang on to their culture yeah, in some and, form. And, and so they should. 
um, you know, I, I think that, you know, one, of, one of the the reason why we're all here as, as survivors, if you like, of, 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 of thousands of years, millions of years of evolution is sure. because of diversity. Yeah. Um, you know, diversity, it's from diversity that we get innovation. No diversity, no innovation. So you look at the, you look at the natural world, it's all about diversity. And the, the point about having diversity is when there's a challenge, there are multiple solutions um, to that challenge. And so, heaven forbid, we, 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 we become homogenized. And I think education, the way that education has been uh, globally dominated by multinational corporations, yeah. there's, a, there's a serious uh, risk yes, that is. we could homogenize. Yes. I mean, the sort, yes. of, uh, sort of intellectual colonialism, yes. um, you know, the idea that you can sort of roll education out like a piece of software yes. uh, across nations and so forth. I mean, that, that sort of, again, reduces what education is, is about. And yeah. I think that, you know, traveling a lot as, 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 as we do, as I do, I mean, you know, I, I, I like going to a country where there isn't the sort of, it's not the same as at home. I don't need a McDonald's or a Starbucks or all, all, all that stuff. But it goes far deeper than that. I mean, yes. it goes into values and so forth. And I think if we look at the sort of globalization 1.0 project, that was driven by economists. I mean, I think that we have a problem. I mean, the, the problem is, is that we, we listen to a lot to the economists who are making um, effectively, these are neutral, unelected economists that are making political decisions in effect because they are supporting particular uh, directions that politicians ought to go in or politicians will justify a policy based on the numbers. But of course, these numbers are, are Hans Christian Andersen because the reality is economics is a, is a poor relation of the social sciences. Yeah. It's, you know, it has this veneer of respectability because it has some uh, equations and, and so forth. What it doesn't have an equation for is that human beings aren't rational. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we're seeing that at the moment. I mean, you know, and I think there's a, there's a particular problem that if we try to just put everything through a sort of economic blender and say that GDP is the only metric that we're interested in, well, then we're on a, on a hiding to nothing. And I think we're seeing the evidence of that now in the way that society is, rather than coming together, is beginning to crumble in, in a variety of ways. So maintaining um, diversity, maintaining cultural difference and identity, I think this is very valuable. I think homogenizing education I mean it has a very homogenizing effect anyway isn't it yes. we're all doing these standardized tests and let's not, not forget standardization is not the same as standards no you know we can have high standards but we reach them in different ways yes. I mean ch children students people all of us have different abilities different aptitudes or forever changing yes and so forth and, and skilled qualified teachers know that and work with that and and contextualize uh, knowledge for, for them that, that's what a skilled practitioner practitioner does I think that and that takes into account the cultural context um, the, the value system within that region to to dispense with that as if it's not useful I mean I think that the results of that sort of death star of culture uh, are all, all too relevant today I mean we're, we're seeing the results of that so you know I think you know if I was having globalization 2.0 um, you know I integration and, and respect for other cultures and embracing other cultures I think um, is, is, a, is a route that I would go um, you know the idea of devaluing or, de or, or removing them I think is uh, it, it, it's a shame I mean it impoverishes, impoverishes yes the human experience um, and I don't think it's necessary I'm so enjoying this. I'm going to break just for a quick session, uh, listeners, just for you to collect your thoughts, uh, reflect on this, and drop us a line if you want to get in contact. Details coming up on how to do that in a second. We're back with Graham just after this. Hi, I'm Pablo. I'm Natalie LaRose. Hey, I'm Sean Mendez. Turn your radio up. Hi, everyone. My name is Megan Trainer. Hey, everybody. It's Charlie Puth. Let's move the game. Get it on. 
Come and meet the net support team on Standex 20 at Jess 2017 here in Dubai. Welcome to Net Support Radio, broadcasting live in Dubai every day during Jess 2017. And we've got Graham Brown Martin still in the studio with us. Graham, thanks very much for for spending that very valuable time with us as well. Um, so so enjoyed uh, your most recent publication, uh, Learning Reimagined. When can we expect a nut, something else from you? What is next? It's funny you should say that, really, because I, I I have to admit to be sitting on my hands. I, so I've been developing uh, an idea, marinating it in in various writings, and actually, I mean, you can find bits and pieces of it yes. in my blogs and so on. I mean, I, I, much of what I do is co-created. I mean, the book was very, the last book was very well received, but I can't take the entire kind of blame for that. I think that you know a lot of it was from my the people that follow me or, sure. or I talk to on, on social media and so forth, and and, and and I've been doing a bit of that, and so. You know, I work. The, 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 the next project really is a follow-up to Learning Reimagined, although not focused entirely on education. Okay. Um, what I'm looking at are these challenges that I was discussing earlier. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of big, sort of horny, thorny type, thorny type challenges. You know, like population increase, um, climate change ideology, and so forth. And then reviewing the individuals and organizations that are doing positive things about them right now of course i mean you can buy all kinds of tomes about climate change or population sure. or ideology and so forth um i think that the i suppose what i give to the, you know what my output what my special imprint is is the ability to take a lot of these fairly weighty subjects um dive into them do my rain man thing that people seem to like um and then and then and then join up the dots in in ways that perhaps um others haven't done and so the the idea of the next volume um, and I can't give you a deadline for this but I think you know it'd be at least a year um, but in a similar vein to Learning Reimagined i.e. Um, there's some of myself in there but also a review of, of as I mentioned earlier, the individuals and organizations that are doing really interesting stuff um, you know everyone from sort of Elon Musk uh, to Naomi Klein for example sure. I mean there's a broad canvas and I think that it's um, you know the idea is to create some sort of foundation because people sort of say, well, Graham, why do, why, why do you think we have to change education? Why do we care about this? Why can't we just, look, do a black box for education? We, you know, the idea is we want these kids to get through these particular sets of sure. tests, literacy, numeracy, blah, 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 and out. Uh, why, do you, why do you keep pushing for change? And I think it's because we're not reflecting the context in which, um, you know, this, this younger generation sure. is, is emerging into. And that's a simple. And so the, the idea of the next book really is to focus on those things so that there is a, at least a, an understanding that these are, it doesn't have to be a dystopia. I mean, as I've said, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think that we will, you know, what the, if you look at the current um, stresses that the, the, the politics and, and, and are happening both in Europe and, uh, and in the United States, you know, maybe, you know, we've often thought about disruption and structural reform and all that kind of business. Um, you know, perhaps things have to get quite messy um, you know, for, to get people to wake up and participate in society. Um, and this book is to try and add a little bit to that conversation. But of course, children are different around the world. And I, I, as you say, I think that's quite right that 
whatever service, whatever, however we get there, it's going to be different, it's going to be disparate, it's going to be broken up, it's going to be disruptive. But for some people, that's still too uncomfortable for them. What's this? Do we just have to wait till these people are out of their job, or do we, can we move them on? I mean, it's interesting, you mentioned about the UAE and Dubai um, having you know, such a, a diversity in terms yes. of population and yes. so forth, because everyone's coming here for different kinds of, yes. of jobs and so forth. What, what strikes me as strange, actually, is that if you look, because obviously people that are expats, which is the majority of the population, um, don't use state education. They, they use the private education, international schools and so forth, yes. as you would expect. Um, but what's interested me is that, that in the international school sector, there are English schools and there are the American schools and there's yes. the Indian schools and yes. so forth. What a, what a lost opportunity. Yes. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I think, you know, if I was bringing my children here, I would want, I mean, the whole point of that is to get that kind of broader experience, to, to sit next to, you know, you know, Emirati kids, to sit next to kids from China, to sit next, do you know what I mean? To, yes. to understand more and so forth. And not, again, absolutely not to homogenize, but to create the, the, the idea of global citizenship. Um, you know, because, you know, you know, like, I mean, a simple example, but a very current one. I mean, Bangladesh, for example, will be underwater in 30 years' time. That's more than 30 million people. Well, what are we going to do? I mean, you know, we, we get bent out of shape, you know, with Syria, don't we? Yes. You know, like, you know, our governments and yes. so forth. I mean, yes. you could argue that Brexit is yes. a result of us, you know, our inhospitability, yes. you know, inhospitability to, to strangers. Um, but, but what's going what's to happen to the 30 million people when, when Bangladesh is underwater? Um, you know, this is a, a global issue, and I think it's this notion of understanding that we are interdependent on our fellow human being, wh- wherever they happen to be. So, you know, if we look at the equatorial region, you know, let's say the continent of Africa, it will be somewhere that is about 1.1 billion population now, be 4 billion by the end of this century. Um, now, the, the, the equatorial regions are going to be worst hit. Uh, by climate change over the next 30 to 40 years. So you're going to see that area, which isn't only the home to, to hundreds of millions of people will be, but also where we get a lot of our food, our minerals, resources, the things that are in your mobile phone and so forth. Yeah. So we can't turn our back on, on, on that. You know, we can't turn our back on, on those nations. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that's why we need to be more we need to recognize the interdependency we need to be you know we need to hold out our hands to this because the alternative i mean the the, you know, the reason why you get uh, civil unrest uh, you know whether that translates into terrorism or whatever it's a result of uh, a situation where the minority you know have you know the majority have less so the minority can have more um, i mean that, that's an unsustainable system i mean it, these it, are it, world government kind of problems yet we don't have one how close can we ever get to that well i think you know world government i think is is, is problematic um you know you sort of you're running into the sort of bilderberg illuminati you know new order type type new world order type things because you know you're then down to whose system would it be um you know and if you look at globalization 1.0 that's pretty much a western model i mean if you look at um, the sort of, I mean, I mentioned talking earlier about e- economics and so forth. I mean, if you look at what's happened since the, the, the Second World War and Europe and the Marshall Plan, I mean, these economic bodies, for example, OECD, uh, IMF, World Bank, um, these are all come out of this economic system. And, and there's this sort of belief, if we look at the words being used, you know, people mention the economy all the time. Well, 
what is the economy? What what does it what is it actually? I mean, it's it's unknowable, and yet we we do we have black boxed this thing where yeah. the language of e economics is not known by the general public. It's not being taught in school in the in in in, in a language. We're not taught sociology as a compulsory subject and so forth. And so the result of that is is that there are these conversations happening about policy, about global policy, which the general public don't have access to because they don't have that language it's in this sort of black box language and you know when you think about the enormous influence and power organizations like OECD World Bank IMF and so forth we really ought to know a lot more about them so before we start thinking about global governments uh, we need to be thinking more about on, on what what terms because economic metrics like GDP are typically industrial objectives They've got nothing to do with social objectives. You know what we do as a society, the things that we could do if we wanted to do. Because, you know, things that we worry about, like poverty, for example, is that's a man-made problem. It's not natural. No. Um, we've made that. We've made that happen. So clearly, you know, since the Marshall Plan, since this kind of this love affair with with, with economics, it hasn't solved those issues. Um, and GDP is very very dodgy one anyway. When you think about you know um, the, the amount of minerals that are extracted from from developing countries, and and with no taxation being paid. Do you know what I mean? So we have to kind yeah. of get some more uh, better purchase on what's really going on before we start thinking about global governance. But I think from you know education is uh, education is a reflector of society. Education can't change society. Society has to change education. Now, we might like to think that we could be revolutionaries in education and change the world and so forth, but unfortunately, education, you know, like religion, like mass media, like the judiciary system, it's a structure to maintain the status quo. Yeah. The question is, what is the new status quo going to be? And that's, I think, to, to create a population that's uh, politically engaged, that understands a conversation, that is awake. And I think the, you know, I think the, if there's a, a silver lining in the cloud of political unrest that's happening in Europe and America right now, I think it's that possibility that we might wake people up and they will participate. So I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm also thinking, wow, this is just amazing. I'm, I'm thinking about something that Seth Showstack that I, I, I follow in it. He's a chief astronomer at SETI and he's talking about off-world kind of thing so whilst you're here talking about this let me just throw something else as well so uh, the, uh, some minerals we can't recycle can't recoverable copper zinc uh, he talks about some of these we're going to need to go and get those from passing asteroids we're going to need to be living in space stations we're very close to doing that already now and his prediction is that that will be one of the things we do in this century we start living off world that gives us a chance to almost dehumanize society because this will be a separate colony elsewhere and I just wonder whether that's the solution we should be aiming for that. But AI won't get us there because we still need the creative problem-solving skills that human beings have. This is a so what do we take from the Earth and repopulate elsewhere? It's an interesting one, actually. I read an article at the weekend, and I wish I could remember the astronaut who said it. Um, but the astronaut said that, that when we're born, we go to heaven. Um, and what, he, what he meant by that was that, you know, this planet really, if you think about the, the chances of this happening, to be on a rock that is the perfect distance from the sun with the, with the perfect combination of uh, you know, minerals and, and, and gases and so sure. forth, that's created this quite incredible planet. Yes. And then the idea that we'd want to go and live on a, on a, a deserted rock like the moon or a, a, a rust heap 
of Mars. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it strikes me as absolutely insane. I mean, yes, of course, I'm not anti-exploration yes. and, and so forth. And, and like you say, there may well be um, sources of energy, helium-3, for example, on the moon, um, that, that will be very valuable to yes. us. But I don't think we should for a second think that, that, that this is any kind of life raft after we screw it up here. I mean, I think you're right in pointing out they're not making any more land. Um, and therefore, we should start looking after what we've got. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but, the, but the notion that we can all sort of you know, disappear into, into another planet. I mean, first of all, how do you move 11 billion people? Well, of course, you don't. Um, and yeah. then, OK, what is it just the white people? I mean, where, yeah. where, where, do you know what I mean? You can see how complicated this will get. Yeah. So, but back to the point, I mean, do I believe that we will be, uh, there will be some of us living off world? Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, I, I was inspired by the Apollo uh, missions when I was a child. I mean, I desperately wanted to be an astronaut. I used to write to Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and so forth. Um, but let's, let's also point out that, you know, after all the hoo-ha and, and, uh, and big words from, from uh, Elon Musk and, and uh, Jeff Bezos and so on, that in 2018, we're going to fly a couple of multi-billionaires around the moon. Yeah. So, so it's tourism then. Yeah. For the wealthy. This, this doesn't sound like what, no. what your gentleman was talking about in no. terms of, you know, for the benefit of all no. and, and, and so forth. So I think that, you know, I think we need to keep a, a close eye on it. I think that absolutely, I mean, I mean I'm excited. I mean, it, you know, I, I mean, I, you know to, to, that, that the, the potential for landing a human being on the Mars, on Mars yeah. uh, in my lifetime. Wow. I mean, I'm going to watch every second of yeah. that. But let's make sure we do something with it. Let's not make sure, you know, let's, let's hope it's not just like a race to see who can get there first and plant their flag. Um, and, and let's not build colonies for the sake of it. Let, let, let's think of it really about what we do. Because I think in reality, this is the only planet that we have. I mean, unless we see uh, a significant change in physics uh, that allows us to go to travel faster than the speed of light, we're not going to be bumping into another intelligent species anytime no. soon. Uh, it may well be, of course, we've got the notion of time wrong. Uh, I mean, you know, once upon a time we believed that the Earth was flat. Uh, yes. it, it may well be that actually we don't actually have to travel. Maybe we can do something else. Yeah. But then we're into sort of woo-woo kind of dimethyltryptamine Indeed. Uh, <laughs> territory. <laughs> Seth's not a big fan of these uh, post-light light speed travel, really, I have to say. But it's still a very interesting. And part of these topical discussions are what can spark excitement, absolutely. interest, uh, and get people to buy absolutely, into... Absolutely, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm all for it. I mean, there's um, a gentleman, Jonathan Nelder, um, in Australia, who's definitely worth checking out, find him on Twitter and so on, and um, he was in London recently, stayed at my place, and we were talking about a project that he's working on, which is called The Future You. And it's fascinating, actually, because he was asking me lots of questions which really sort of got me, got my juices flowing, mm. which was, mm. what would a school look like on Mars? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because... And that's an interesting question, isn't it, really? I mean, what, what, what would a school be? Because if you're assuming that's a colony and it's not coming back um, and you've got children there, what would you teach them? Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you know, what, 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 what are the cultural artifacts that they would need to know? Um, I just think it raises a lot of... I mean, even if we never build a school in our lifetime... It's a darn good question. I think question. it's a good question yeah. because it's that... Absolutely. You know, it's, that, it's what's important to us. What do we value? Yeah. Um, and you could you could play that. It's an intellectual exercise, yes. which I think that Jonathan's going to turn it into, and, and I'm on his advisory team. I hope he does that. But I think that, I mean, like the Apollo missions for our generation, I think that this is going to create so many opportunities for for thinking about you know obviously new technologies, new ways of doing things. Sure. But I think as a sort of almost a contextual hub for thinking about what what it is to be human. 
I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic, and, and I'm all for it. I just, I just think that we, uh, we're a long way from having a, a foot on the boat before we take our foot off the pier. And at that moment, I think that's a perfect chance to, to finish the conversation. Uh, listen, if you want to find Graham, he's on Twitter. Graham, where do we find you on Twitter? Yes, Graham BM. Uh, be nice. I mean, Twitter seems to be getting, seems to be improving again now. It went through yeah. a period where people were quite mean to each other. Well, I apparently, mean, there's know. this really good. There, there is this mechanism apparently in, in UK law where you can sue someone if you don't like what they've said well, about you. I think it's you. a hard one. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I think the problem, the problem is we end up with echo chambers. I mean, I try not to block or filter or mute anybody yeah. on social media. Uh, because actually, I think part of the problem we're seeing now is, yes. you know, we all get stuck in our echo chambers. Yes. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I have friends, lots of friends that I don't agree with. Um, in, uh, all I find is actually often sharpens my thinking, even though I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. The most exciting thing at this cover is that, the, that they've raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for someone's legal bills, but actually it was a fake. Uh, I know. That's and, it's, and that money's going to charity to feed people that can't feed themselves. And I exactly. think, yes. Exactly. Yeah, oh, I think we amazing. need to sort of re- reclaim social media. I mean, I remember Isn't Twitter yes. when there was like, you know, like you know, 300,000 people or something. And it was, just, it was just great to be there. It was like CB radio yeah. uh, for those who can remember CB yes. radio. And, uh, you know, I, I think, there, you know, we do need a space for uh, sharing ideas and public yeah. debate and, and so forth. But it doesn't have to be a blood sport. That's really good. And um, finally, one four for a copy. Thanks very much indeed, Graham. Great to chat Thank with you. Thank you very Chanting much. Cheers. By the fabulous Graham Brown Martin Thank listeners. You.